everybody now. <laughs> oh, I'm out of breath. That was so much movement so early in the morning. <laughs> too much. Too much fun. We need to settle down and get serious here. No, no, wait. Wait, one more minute. Okay, no, I forgot. We only have 30 minutes, so maybe everybody's just kind of rolling their eyes at us. Hi, everybody in the chat. Hey, gang. We. Mark's asking if we want some chips with that salsa. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, good morning, everybody. I hope you all have your cups of coffee. Indeed, there it is. There we go. Oh, I did not do the morning zoom. Oh yes, the morning zoom. Here we go. Ooh. Whoa. Not a very good one this morning. Wow, I need to drink one. Yeah, we probably need to do something with a green screen, I think, to make that better. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Going to have to have a special effects overlay or something, but holy smokes, it's Wednesday morning idiotic, and we have a fantastic guest with us today who's hanging out with us. Why, we have Dr. Patty Shank, who is joining us from Denver this morning. Everybody wave hello in the chat. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, um, and, and <clears throat> Patty is, is well known in the e-learning industry, but despite that uh, that level of prominence, um, Dr. Patty, let's give you a minute to, oh, what, Brent, you just can't stop dancing. Uh, we'll, we'll get you, Patty, to, to introduce yourself. Tell us a little, sorry, I missed that. I was talking again. Sorry, I thought it had stopped on its own. Sorry, that was my fault. Uh, no worries. Patty, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, how you got into this world, and uh, and we'll start there this morning. Look at all the waving. That's awesome in the chat. Oh, so, so I'm really glad to be here. Um, you know, how I got to this place is the same way everybody else has. Uh, um, mostly I was a subject matter expert and started doing training. Um, and my background is healthcare and health education. I'm a health educator by trade. And so I was designing courses in for health education um, and just kept going. Um, they, tr they tried to make me into something else. I, I liked what I was doing so much that I quit one job where they wanted me to be a sales manager because I was training pharmaceutical sales reps in product knowledge. And I, I, I turned it down and took a job at, as manager of training, kind of started there oh, um, for, cool. for an HMO. Yeah, no, it's the same as everybody else's story, I think. So many of us come into this world sideways, uh, either a subject matter <laughs> expert or, or, or something. So yeah, awesome. Um, and you've become very um, focused on a lot of research-driven uh, topics, which is what you know what's bringing us uh, here together today. And you've got a few books out. Um, um, let, and before we forget, um, I don't know, Brent, do you want to Google up a, a couple of uh, places where people can find uh, some of the books? Let's drop some of that stuff in. A bit, yeah, where's in the, the best place to find them, Patty? At pattyshank.com. Um, you can go there, but all they're only sold on Amazon because because I'm now self-publishing. So hmm. they're sold all over the world on Amazon. So if you go to Amazon, put my name in, you'll find Very the cool. book. Cool. Yeah. And one of the things um, that you're doing a lot right now, focused on, is actually something that seems 
so common and yet um, maybe not so well done around the world. Multiple choice questions right now. You've got a strong right. focus on on research practice, best practices, etc. Around that, so um, I think that's probably a great place for us to to just start this morning and talking mm -hmm. about that. Yeah, um, I mean, what what got you thinking about multiple choice questions as a as a thing to talk about or or to dig into? Well, I've done it. I've done it for years, and mostly I've done it with um, groups of trainers or groups of faculty. They've asked me to come in and help them improve their practice, and while doing that and researching, I realized that like so many other things in our field, this was an area of great need and just disappointing results. Um, so so I, I just decided I'll start there with, with my online courses because the research is super clear that most of the multiple, multiple choice questions that subject matter experts or trainers um, or instructional designers write are invalid. And doing something bad is one thing, but doing something bad that can damage your organization is another. And this is an area where, where people can actually damage, uh, legally damage their organizations. So, um, and most people don't realize it. They just write questions. They don't really care. Or they don't even know if they're good. Um, and then we make, we make um, inferences based on the results of those questions, like they understand the material or they don't, or they can go on to the next course or they can't. Um, and those have legal implications. Mm. So, so um, I just started, I decided about a year ago that, that people were asking me that we like your books, but we want you to teach us like how to actually do it with our own con content and uh, traveling you know, eight hours to get somewhere is, is a royal pain. And you and I both know we can do this online and in some ways we can do it better. Yeah. So, so I just started with multiple choice questions and taught my first class of that. And, and the next one's coming up early November. So that'll go live. Registration will go live in the next day or two um, oh, on cool. my site. Yeah, so, so, but here's, here's the interesting thing. You can't write good multiple choice questions unless you can write really targeted job focused uh, learning objectives. Hmm. So what I found in the first class is people couldn't do that. And so I'm going to follow up with a inexpensive self-paced course on writing targeted job focused learning objectives because your learning objectives, if they're written well, tell you what to measure. Yep, that's, <coughs> yeah, that's what they always taught us in the early days. Like uh, one of my favorite instructional design classes was starting with the, they, you know, we were taught to write the assessment first. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So you, you, you design the assessment first based on your learning objectives and then you write your content so that you're teaching so that people actually pass the test. And that's been given a bad name in schools, but for instructional design for workplace learning, it's really quite appropriate and actually needed. I think it's oh. very different. Uh, it's very, very different. The conversations in education around yeah, the test versus trying to, when you're developing 
the entire learning experience to start with the test and then build the content around it because you know because there's a, there's a whole total there's a different reason why each one is happening so it sounds the same but it's very much not it, mm -hmm. it's it's not and and so I I assumed with the first class that people knew how to write job focused specific and measurable learning objectives which tell you exactly what to assess and then tell you what kind of content you need because you're trying to get person which when we're doing instruction we're trying to get people to a certain end result and so the end result is described in the learning objective and then everything else is focused in to making that happen and and i don't know if they're not teaching how to do this or well you and i know that there's all all this talk in our field about what we don't we don't need this stuff we don't need learning objectives uh yeah i think I was, I was going to say, I mean, we, another, well, we were talking about, you know, how so many of us come in sideways. So, so many of us in this industry are doing something and we're doing it with the best of intentions, but we don't necessarily all have, um, you know, formal training, uh, right. at least initial part of our career. We often get into this and then we pursue formal training. So that's our, our opportunity, I guess, to then learn things like the, you know, learning objectives and uh, that sort of a thing. So, um, you know, so many people, we, you know, Oh, it's a multiple choice question. We've had them all of our lives. We all know what they're like. And, you know, uh, maybe the biggest strategy we've got is to try to avoid making it so that if people answer C for everyone, they can, exactly. they can pass, you, you know, whatever that, whatever that tactic you had uh, back in the day for passing your, your, your um, but, but the, the idea of, of, of starting, you know, the objectives and the assessment also is a great tool for um, focusing the learning process and the learning content itself too, because very often, you know, you're handed a whole pile of content and said, here, make this into a course. And um, by, by knowing what people need to demonstrate, it gives you, you know, value then in focusing, actually going to make them uh, consume slash, you, you know, work through as part of the, the learning experience and also helps remove a lot of extraneous material. It's and that and it's super important. And I think some people have asked me, why are you starting so basic? And the reason I'm starting so basic is the basics have to be good for the good for the stuff that's less basic yeah. to actually work, you know. Mm -hmm. So I'm starting basic because because people are telling me they need that. Or let me put it this way. They're showing me things and I see things, and so do you guys all the time, that are like what's the purpose of this what are we trying to do here and it's you know if we if we don't have those if we don't have those answers then where do we go from there we just kind of throw stuff together it's not it's yeah. not the point we might as well do it well yeah sometimes it's just we got to fill in the blanks yeah. there's a there's a mandate or, or there's a template or something that exactly. says we have to have 10 multiple choice questions for each uh, learning objective or for each you know, module or whatnot. And so they, you know, okay, let me just see how many different things I can write and get it done, drop them in there, boom, good to go. Right. And you and I know that because we've seen the same things where, where someone says, I need, I need four, exactly four learning objectives. It's like, I don't have four, I have one or I have two, especially for a conference presentation, right? You're yeah. not covering four objectives in an hour you're just not so why not do a deep dive and and actually help people to actually do something but but with your with one learning objective right so yeah. you know you can't 
you can't you can't do it that way. I mean, you can. It's just it's just silly and and ridiculous. Well, at the at the risk of at the risk of getting us too far off topic, and everybody draw me back in, but there is that difference between building a training product and needing to market it and actually building effective training. So right. the idea on the marketing side is cram as much stuff into that description and as many objectives as possible so that it looks like there's going to be a lot of learning going on in that one hour. Right. <laughs> exactly. And, and I mean, the reason I got into research was that you see all this just ridiculous stuff going on in the name of instruction and what is actually happening so so my question four years ago when when i went from being interested in research to being totally committed to telling people what the research says is let's if we're going to spend x hours a week doing this stuff and we are let's make it so it actually has a chance of actually working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's a couple of, a couple of items in the, in the chat there um, uh, from NPUSH. So job-focused multiple choice questions, are those going to be primarily scenario-based? Oh, that's a good question. So, so I, I'm one of those people that can think of like 14 things at the same time, and then the, what comes out of my mouth is just, gobbledygook from from the 14 things so job focused means that one we are designing instruction to actually impact what people can do on the job and i designed a process for that but the process comes from research and of course research is always very complicated and and so it's like the first thing is what needs to happen from the results of a person's job what do they need to, what outcomes need to happen? And then how do, how does my performance on the job actually impact that? So it's job focused, business outcomes focused, and then you take those outcomes and turn them into, you know, there's the task that someone needs to do, and then you take the learning objectives and map them to the task. Um, and of course that means you need to know you need to know um, what people are doing and what outcomes are important, right? So, so that's where the writing those learning objectives comes in. It comes from some task analysis, and I'm not talking about always a deep one. But and so the question of scenarios, um, scenario questions, and scenarios in general are much higher level. <clears throat> they get at the decision making and the problem solving at a job on a job. Um, but some and people and one of the <clears throat> one of the research uh, pieces of research information that comes out is that we do not have valid multiple choice questions unless those questions actually measure the job tasks we are teaching. So scenarios are very possible. Um, they're not the only approach. There's we should be doing more scenario questions like here's X, Y, and Z, and then ask questions about it. Or here's, here's a diagram of the process. Where in the process does this, does this problem occur? So that we're asking people to do in their head what they actually do on the job. And it starts with a, a job-focused learning objective. 
Cool. And that's that was an awesome question um, to throw in there. There's also been a, a bit of chat already about the, the Dick and Carry model <clears throat> in the questions uh, or in the in the comments. People going back and forth. Um, and, and I think I mean without sort of I don't know totally. Uh, Going down that way, um, you know, is what you're finding? Does it align with the the Dick and Carry model? It sounds like there's lots of parallels. Yes, there's lots. Of, you know, I'm not. I I am not married in my in my thought process to any specific model. the The bottom line for me is what results need to happen. I'm probably more performance based. Uh, probably aligned more with Gratian Rumler and those folks. What results need to happen? That tells you number one, and then and then the task analysis or a minimal task analysis tells you why isn't this happening? And you and I both know, we all know that that if it's not happening because people don't have the skills, well, training's um, an incomplete or in, inappropriate solution, right? But when training is the solution or part of the solution, it's usually part of the solution then it should be done to get a specific end result. We should be designing specifically for that result. And so starting with learning objectives and the assessment, as, as Brent said, you know, we, we figure out what the assessment needs to be first, and then we design so that people are able to pass it. The assessment just measures the learning objective. That's it. Did they, did they achieve it or not? Um, and so, this is a starting spot for for getting the sweet spot of results for from instruction that's what it's all about it's not it's i'm not a slave to a model it's it's what does that business need from from the people who are working there um and how do we design instruction so that they get more of that um, because otherwise what you and i do is not very valuable yeah, what can we what can we do with this research to push people towards what we called in the title of this show, the you know, deeper learning? Like what is what is it? How do we go from you know, to kind of stick with the metaphor, you know, from a, a shallow learning to a a more a, a deep sense of learning? Is it is it de dealing more with how we deal with assessments or is it a different type of focus that we need to have doing things differently where, or how do we get there to that deeper learning? Uh, so, so let me define deeper learning real simply. Um, the deeper learning is, is simply designing for the purpose of actual job use. Um, and that's it. You know, it's, it's pretty darn simple. It, it's like, if we're going to do this thing that takes a lot of people's time and a lot of resources, we want to get to a place where it actually impacts performance. And so what we know, what we know is that a deeper learning approach requires the use of certain strategies and tactics. Um, and this is something that, that Karen and I were talking about, Karen Heider and I were talking about in the workshop that, that we don't, we don't cover content. We improve job skills. Um, and it's a completely different approach so that we get to the right place um, and we don't waste our resources because training is expensive and it's time consuming. Um, so, um, and, and for, for that matter, any other performance approach that we take, it's time consuming. It takes a bunch of people 
to actually build things. And if they don't work, if they don't actually impact people's work and the, and the organization, what's the point anyway? Why are we doing this? So, so that's the point of deeper learning, deep, shallow learning, and that's exactly what it's called. It's a continuum from shallow to deep, right? So, so shallow learning is the kind of learning where you're basically learning to pass a test. Um, and that happens in most of education, right? Um, so mm -hmm. we're not designing for people to pass the test. We're designing for people to be able to perform. The purpose of assessment is not to pass a test, but to be able to show that the instruction worked, that, that people have actually met the learning objectives. Um, one of the great things about research is that it gives us fairly clear guidance in most all cases on what should we do to get to that result. And that's it. That's the whole, that's the reason for the focus is what can we, what, how can we spend less time doing designing better things that actually work for, for organizations. That's what you and I need to do. Yeah. Uh, so that's it. That's, that's yeah, you, you mentioned, um, you mentioned education a little bit and corporate training and it just kind of dawned on me. Is there, I know a lot of the research around ed education and instruction is, is focused and that research is done inside of maybe higher ed institutions yeah. or, uh, you know, K through 12 and whatnot, but is there any, how does that translate then into the corporate workforce? Because that's where a lot of us are. It's where a lot of us are, are doing what we do. And, and um, does it, does it translate well? That, that's just a fabulous question. Um, and, and the truth is that some of it doesn't translate. So we have, we have to look at research in, in a certain way. Does what goes on in, in K through 12 actually translate to workplace learning? And here's the great, the great bottom line on that. We don't have to guess that um, in most cases. One of the best outcomes of doing the first couple of books was learning who, who the researchers were that were actually researching in workplace learning. So I now, I now have found most of them. And um, so they don't answer every question, but like for instance, cognitive load. Is cognitive load the same in K through 12 as it is in workplace learning? Yes and no. Um, and, and how we know this is that, that there are researchers like Richard Mayer um, and others who have researched it in workplace learning. So now I've got a treasure trove of researchers who basically do the research in workplace learning. So that's where I would say that 90% of what I'm writing about in my books and, and for e-learning industry is coming right from workplace learning. So, so because I had the same concern and you have a right to have that exact concern because we're different at age 10 than we are as adults. And it's the reason why researchers in adult learning, you know, we started with the people who were saying, are adult learners different? And the answer is they're real different. Now, there are times where there are questions, like let's take the, the um, issue of simulations. There are tons of simulation, there's loads of re uh, research on simulations. 
including cognitive load from simulations. Mm. And a lot of that research is in higher ed. Um, but there are people who are taking that research in higher ed and doing it in workplace learning. Um, we can apply some higher ed research to workplace learning, but we have to be careful. You know, what are they do what are they actually doing and, and does this make sense? Um, that's what's so fun about this is actually making sense of all this and saying, does this apply? But the best thing is what you just said. We need to find the research that's in actual workplace learning. And we can, and it's there. It's there. Very cool. We have a we have some great questions in the question panel too. Um, I'm going to do them a little bit out of order. Um, have you found that it's more difficult to write strong multiple choice questions that are at the application level, or is a multiple choice not necessarily the best format for that level of learning? That's a super good question. So, um, I'm not I'm not a big fan of Blooms, but everyone uses it. Um, there's been a whole lot of discussion lately, but I'm I'm more of a fan of the the revised blooms like Marzano's. Um, and so what you find is multiple choice questions can get at everything up to the thinking process, like with decision making and analyzing. It's very hard to write those questions well, and that's the main purpose of me designing a multiple choice questions course was not to help people do fill in the blank, you know, what's the word that's missing in this sentence types of questions. Because if our learning objectives are job focused and specific and measurable, then we need to write questions that get at that task. Um, and most of those are going to be higher level. Here's what we can't get to um, in multiple choice questions. We cannot get to the create level, which is the top level, you can't create, you can't have, to, you can't have someone create in a multiple choice question, but you can get at the decision making that would go into the creation, right? So like, how would you do this? Um, and so the, the question here is not whether multiple choice questions can do this, they can. We can get all the way up to problem solving and, and decision making. Um, we can't get at the very top level, which is creation. We can get in the in the use through scenarios. We can get into application. We can get into analysis. We can get into evaluation. Um, you know, the basic question of here's a scenario: it, Did did uh, Judy or Sam do this correctly? And then the next question: um, uh, What did they do correctly or not correctly? You know, the, you can you can do that. The problem is we don't we don't write what. Here's how people write multiple choice questions. They go through the content and they pick out things that you can write a question about. <laughs> hey, hey, there's a paragraph there's a paragraph with a bullet list, which looks an awful lot like a multiple choice question. So I'll do all that and I'll just change one bullet so it's wrong. Right, exact exactly. And that's not how you write multiple choice questions. We write multiple choice questions to measure the learning objective, not the content. Um, and the content it's not it's not hard to go through content and find find sentences where you can t take a word out and say which word is missing you know this is, does not get it at, at the task not in not at any level not not even a little 
so, but it's fun to be able to create that really cool drag and drop where you can have a whole bunch of words that you can drag and drop into that empty space. Yay, e-learning. <laughs> no, exactly. And, and it makes you feel good because you've now got six multiple choice questions that you took directly from the content. That's not the task. And here's the problem. The problem is those questions as a test of the learning objective are non-valid. And that's where we start getting into legal problems. If you're going, if, if there's any consequences whatsoever of people failing the test um, or even passing the test, there's, there's a couple of problems here. One, if people pass the test but cannot do the job, the test is not valid. If people don't pass the test but can do the job, the test is not valid. So and unnecessary. <laughs> it's unnecessary, right. So, so it's another place where we're doing something that looks like instructional design work, but actually doesn't work. Um, and, and they need to be in the sweet spot of what is this multiple choice, what is this learning objective asking the person to do? And if it's asking the person to analyze X and Y, then the multiple choice questions have to be about analyzing x and y um so and you know and that starts with good learning objectives so you can't actually do that task without really well-written learning objectives um it sounds like oh patty this is all so basic well if it's all so basic why isn't why isn't it done well it's just not <laughs> yeah there's a couple of questions as well that kind of, and some it um, echoes some of the things in the chat and I'll kind of merge both these other both these questions um, have you found other effective non-traditional methods for assessing learners outside of multiple choice questions um, and, and another parallel question what's a good first step to guide towards doing more than just quizzes not saying to not do them at all but how do we guide to other options that will lead to, to deeper learning so right no, those, of, those are fabulous Multiple choice questions are not appropriate for everything. Um, they're just not. So in the manual that I give people, I start with how do you figure out whether this is a performance assessment or a multiple choice kind of test assessment? And um, I'll give you an example. If, if the learning objective is analyze um, multiple, uh, given a variety of situations, analyze whether this can be tested with a multiple choice question or perform performance assessment. Um, you can do that with, with multiple choice. If the other one is write a multiple choice question, you cannot do that. You can get at, is this a good multiple choice question? You can get at, is, is this, does this have all the, like, here, here's something I use a lot, like alt tags, the, for, for making our images more accessible. We can get at what needs to be included in an alt tag. Uh, we can get at, is this a good alt tag for this image? We cannot get at, write, um, write alt tags for these five images, which is important. Those are performance assessments. Um, and I discussed the ways of doing that. Um, and they're, mostly they involve assessment scenarios. They involve actual work tasks and seeing whether people can do it. Um, checklists for a supervisor, a job aid. You know, a, a good alt tag will have the following components. Um, and here's some good examples. And the supervisor 
can use that as a checklist to see if someone can do their do that part of their job. Um, so no, uh, multiple choice isn't appropriate for all of them. Um, and so that's fine. We can do performance assessments and we can just see how people do their jobs, you know, and we can write checklists for supervisors and for team leaders. Like here's a checklist for this is what you're looking for for the results from this task. Um, and, you know, it, it includes this, 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 and this. And we can even go further and break it down further if we need to. Um, so that, that's fine. Um, so multiple yeah. it always, it, for everything. It always assumes that those task lists are already created, right? I, I've, had, I've worked in several different environments where it's like, okay, Brent, is the training ready yet? And I'm like, well, no, because nobody's defined the business processes and nobody seems to know how any of this works. So I'm not sure how I'm going to train people on it if we don't know how it works or how we're going to be doing it. So kind of the job has to be defined first before we can train people how to do it. And it becomes a head scratcher for people. <laughs> well, here, here's why that happens, I think. And I think, Brent, knowing you, I think you'll agree. They assume that you're just going to deliver content. Yeah. And, and you can go around asking people for content and then put it online and, it, and it's training, right? Um, it just uh, it doesn't work that way. Um, and somebody wrote, it assumes a manager will do the assessment. Um, in some cases, the, the manager has to do the assessment. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's, they have to, they are responsible for the performance of their people. And the fact that they don't do it doesn't mean it's okay. It means that, that the processes in place for assuring performance aren't end to end okay. Um, we cannot decide by ourselves what the end results of training need to be. We need to understand the jobs and, and we need to understand the tasks. And we can't do that in a vacuum. You're right. We just can't. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, we can design step training. One. Yeah. Right. Step one, figure out what the job is. <laughs> step two, train other people how to do it. <laughs> Right. It's, it's, um, it's almost ludicrous that we expect training to work well when we don't have the data necessary, the information necessary. Okay. So, so for instance, a, a while back, I worked for two years inside of Kaiser Permanente um, because they had service level agreements that 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 the contact center people would answer questions correctly say 89% of the time it's probably higher than that i don't remember um and their service level agreements were not being met um and so they brought me in to help them with their training well it wasn't a training problem you know it, number one it wasn't a training problem but i sat with those folks and and learned how they how they answered questions and there was no way you could answer questions correctly with that process. It was just, it was a convoluted process. Um, and so the, what happened is we made the process simpler. And in, I don't know, three months, um, they had recovered, they had $3 million um, in, in less losses against several service level agreement outcomes because people just simply couldn't do that work. 
so yeah, if you're going to let me sit with people and see see how how their job works, that's fine. We can, we yeah. can do that, but it's time consuming. Yeah, it takes. I thought we at the end of the day we sometimes end up becoming business process analysts and have to get outside of our own jobs just to help them get past themselves. Cause it's like, well, yeah, you can't do the training. So if you want to pay me to do the training, you might have to just pay me to do your business process analysis too and redefine that if you really want this to be effective, but nobody wants to do that. It's like, no, no, just do the training. Well, sure? right. There really isn't anything to train. <laughs> no, and that's a, that's a problem. And we're so afraid to tell people that that look this what you're asking me to do will result in bad results what's the point you yeah. know it's it, it's it's not rocket science it's not even that hard um if you if you so the bottom line for this one the learning objective is was that that the contact center people will be able to answer a customer a patient's questions about whether X or Y is covered, um, and, and that answer will be correct, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so to design for that result, first I have to understand how do they actually do this work, and what gets in the way. And there were three or four huge big problems um, that made that impossible. I mean, almost impossible. So, mm. so. I mean, one of here's one of them. At the time, they were work. Each person had one 14-inch CRT monitor. They had to open up five special, separate applications, and they had to go from application to application to follow to follow the process. What, like, for instance, what group are you in, and what are what's the coverage level for, let's say, orthotics? in that group based on the coverage level okay now we're in another application um what will be covered and at what level you know it was just like and here's here's the interesting thing there was no way to change those five five specific things they they were all coming from different data and they weren't together right and they weren't going to be together so here was the first thing you can't actually do this process on a 14 inch CRT monitor. So what will happen? Let's take three people and get them a 32-inch screen so that they can have at least three out of the five open at a time and they can go back and forth. That's what we did first, three people. Um, and, and for those three people, the 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 error level went from 40% from, uh, wrong to zero or one or two percent. Okay, so then, then we spend two, three, four hundred dollars per person, get rid of the CRT monitors, and, and in the space of a year, um, their, their service level errors went down by 90%. I mean, it, this isn't rocket science. So what would I have trained them to do if I had done tra good training on, on how to figure out whether, what, to answer the top, say, 15 questions? And the top question was, is this covered? What what would the training have looked like? 
Yeah. Hey, you know what? We're getting close to the end of our time. We don't normally go for the full hour, but one thing that I just wanted to hit on real quick, and I, I think Chris, I don't know if you've got another extra question or not, but I just want to cover all the different areas. And if you could just, um, well, yeah, like we got a little bit of time left. Let's cover all of it. Um, <laughs> what I'm trying to say is you, you do and you study all the research around many, many different aspects of what we do to get to that deeper learning. So it's not just the research around assessments and, and that. Right. You do some great work, some great books on um, writing and just being able to be a better writer in instructional design. And maybe there's some research around that that you share in that book. What are some of the other areas that we can focus on just briefly, uh, you know, that can help people get to deeper learning and then where can they find that information from you? It's a good question and I just started somewhere. You know, anytime I'm confused about something, my, my approach is just jump in somewhere and somewhere connects to everywhere else. So eventually you'll just keep, keep widening the circle. And I started with writing. I, here, here was my question. Does how we write as instructional writers make a difference in how people learn. And the, so that was book one, was writing and organizing. And the answer just shocked me. It was yes, with a you know capital Y-E-S. Um, and so I started there and that took me to, to practice and feedback. Like how, how do we embed practice and feedback in instruction? And from there it took me to all of these things are based on how how our memory actually works and how does that impact and how do we write for write for and do practice for in a way that allows our memory, which is a very limited resource, it's the bottleneck in the whole learning process is how memory works. Um, how do we do that? So I just, I don't really have a process, Brent. I just start, I just, you know, like dropped in like on the parachute into writing and and it's just rippled out so i don't know well, that's okay as long as as long as you've gone through that process and you've created such fantastic books people can just find you on amazon and 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 read whichever part of that process they feel like they want to dive into right and and i would i would rec recommend if you're going to start somewhere and you don't want to do the haphazard process i went through um because i've gotten to tons of places like how do we design media so that it's more comprehensible? Um, if you don't want to do that, start with memory. Start with my book on memory to understand how memory impacts everything else we do because everything, and it's my third book, but it should have been my first, right? So, so I mean, someday, someday I'll rewrite them so they seem to be in some kind of order, but I guarantee it won't matter to you if you read them. It doesn't matter what order it all, you know, writing is, is the foundation uh, of instructional design. So that's a good place to start, but memory is the foundation of learning. I, you know, I don't have a good answer and it makes me look bad, but, but I don't care. That's the truth. No, hey, it's reality. It's legit, right? Everything does start there and it, it's a tough spot. You've mentioned a couple of times the, the course that you're doing currently, the one that, that, it, that you've had one session that's just wrapped, but you've got another one coming up. What's the, um, where should people look for that? Um, um, they can find everything about everything on my website. Um, and it's, it's real simple. It's just pattyshank.com and patty's with an I. 
Um, so go to pattyshank.com. You'll find out information about the course. You'll find out information about the books. I've got downloaded chap chapters you can download for free. Um, and um, absolutely, you can reach me through that place as well. I'm super interested in this. If you've got a specific question, reach out. Very yeah. cool. Very cool. Awesome. Well, what do we got some stuff going on, Chris, don't we? Uh, before we let everybody go, we're going to be at DevLearn. We're going to do uh, a live idiotic at DevLearn. What else we got going on? Um, we're doing an idiotic meet, live meetup here in Ottawa. So if you're Ottawa based or Eastern Ontario based or you want to travel a little bit further, um, that's happening. Um, let me, hmm, I should have done this already. I should, shouldn't I? Um, I didn't think to get the link for this. Um, That's all right. But while you're doing that, we'll say super huge thanks to Patty for being with us today and hanging out yeah. and talking, talking research shop with us. Thank you I'm, so much. Yeah, awesome. I'll, I'm failing to grab the link, but we'll get it thrown in. But um, if people can hit our um, various media channels and find out the info, it's October 17th. We're doing video, so it's going to be really awesome here in Ottawa. So. Indeed, 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 it is. Hey, there's the music. We got some research on video, probably too, right, Patty? My next article is going to be on it. Oh, cool! All right. Well, there you go, everybody. Hey, folks, thanks for hanging out with us today. We'll see you next Wednesday. Thanks for hanging out on Idiotic. Thanks, everybody. Dance through the rest of your week, hey? Thank you.